grad student. Wow, I can't believe this is episode 10. I just want to say a quick thanks to every single person who has come along on this journey with me so far. There is so, so, so much more that I cannot wait to share. And special thanks to those of you who have shared the podcast just by word of mouth. And for those of you who have reached out to me personally to tell me how impactful the podcast has been for you, this literally makes my whole life. And I feel like what I'm doing is valuable to more than just me. So thank you. This is the best hobby literally ever. So today's episode is all about mental health in grad school, how to take care of yourself, and reminders to keep connecting with those around you, especially through the pandemic. For those of you who follow me on Instagram, you'll probably know that I'm obsessed with Best Self Co. They're a company that actually care about us taking care of ourselves and being productive. Uh, they have journals, planners, habit trackers, and discovery decks, which are literally prompts for enhancing interpersonal relationships and connections at all levels. Plus, this company does some killer sci-com on Instagram about all of our favorite topics like imposter syndrome, self-care, and how to be productive. So if you want to try them out, you can find a link in the show notes or the episode description to their website. But without further ado, today's episode is about mental health in grad school with a second year clinical psychology PhD student, Karen Tang. Hello listeners, welcome back to Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana. I'm a fourth-year doctoral student and your host, and I'm joined today by a second-year clinical psychology PhD student studying behavioral addictions and social factors like stigma, Karen Tang. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Alana. It's an honor. Uh, You say thank you, and, and actually I say thank you because you reached out to me to be on the podcast. You're one of the first. Thank you for reaching out. I'm so glad that we're doing this episode. Oh, yes. Thank you for giving us this platform. Oh, you're welcome. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm really happy it's happening. (laughs) Like always, when I start these episodes, though, I like to make sure I shout you out. I want people to give you a follow, especially with this topic of mental health and your advocacy that I see on Twitter. I want people to follow you. So where can people, you know, connect with you online? I've already said Twitter, but what is your handle that people can follow you at? Yes. So my Twitter handle is at Karen Tang underscore. So K. A-R-E-N-P-A-N-G underscore. And we'll have it linked in the description as always. And so let's just jump right. This is going to be a big episode. So let's just jump right into it. You know, today we're covering probably one tip of a very large iceberg. uh, And that iceberg is mental health in grad school. And I do want to make sure before we start, for anyone listening, you know, despite Karen and I being clinical psychology PhD students, we are trainees. We are not experts. Nothing we're saying today is medical advice. And everything that we do talk about is solely from our own experiences, probably from things we've read on Twitter and then followed up with on Google Scholar. Although Karen said before we started recording that she started on Google Scholar. So everyone, um, Karen's very legit. I'm just mostly on Twitter. But as a part of that, I do think it's really important to say that we may talk about our own struggles with mental health. And that may include things like talking a bit about suicide. So going into today's talk, that might be brought up. And as somebody who's a therapist, I know it can be really difficult to talk about these things sometimes or hear about this. And I also feel like it's really important to normalize these conversations. 
So I don't think that people need to be ashamed for either experiencing this or maybe feeling uncomfortable hearing this. I want everyone to make their own decision. So that's what you can expect today. And Karen, I've seen you be really vocal on Twitter about mental health advocacy in grad school. I'm really curious to hear like where your interest in that came from and why you have chosen to like be somebody speaking about this advocacy online. Yeah, I think that's a real, it's like, it's a big question. Yeah, sorry. Real, I, lo- I love that. I like never preface a really big, profound question here. No mm-hmm. Oh, totally for sure. So I think like as clinical psychologists, we're actually just very interested in mental health in general. But I'm taking that extra step to become like a mental health advocate because very recently in March of this year, I had experienced my personal own like panic. And that happened in the middle of class, which was not the best Your first experience. panic attack happened in the middle of class? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's really hard. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was a panic attack until I spoke to like my cohort members and friends and family. And it turns out like, oh, it's a panic attack. Like I originally labeled it as like, oh, I had a nervous breakdown in the middle of class and like the prof was there and everything. But mm-hmm. then speaking more about my experience, it turns out it seems to be like an actual panic attack. Wow. And you had that experience in grad school, right? So like this was a grad school class, which are also quite small classes. I feel like it just puts a spotlight on it almost. Do you know what I mean? Like it, that must have been really hard. Yeah. So it was really, it was quite difficult. So we were actually um, like paired off with another member of our cohort. And then we had a senior student observing us. We were all in different rooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had our professor who was looking at us through like a camera. Um, Oh, interesting. (laughs) I know. It's really interesting. That up, yeah. So when I had that panic attack, I was just like uncontrollably sobbing, and mm. it was really hard to breathe. I was like, "Why can't I breathe? I can't like verbalize that I can't breathe either." And I was really, really lucky in that both my cohort member and that student supervisor were incredibly compassionate and understanding, and they were like, "It's okay if you need to leave. You need to go to the bathroom, take a breath, and that's totally okay." So I went to the bathroom and I was still like a bit like hyperventilating. And then I came back. I tried to like proceed forward because that's what we always try to do, right? Right. Um, try to push forward. Um, but then I, I kept on just crying uncontrollably. And so I think my prof saw that and she came in and she was like, do you need to go home and like take a day off? And I was like, yeah, I think I really, really do. And then so I wanted to really give a shout out to that professor who is now retired now the good ones always retire (laughs) I know she's gonna have an amazing uh, retirement with her new dog and everything so so lucky in that I had such a compassionate instructor as well as two friends that were able to support me and then allowed me to like realize that these are like panic attacks And like looking back now, I actually don't know if that was my first. I think I've had those similar symptoms, but I've never been able to label it as a panic attack. And I think that was just shocking to digest. You know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) I'm just like blown away by a like, I appreciate your vulnerability talking about first off, like a very public panic attack, but also just that moment that you mentioned of like, it was kind of heavy to have that realization of like, oh, like, that's what's happening. Like, that can be kind of shocking to be like, oh, I've heard about this, but this is something that is happening to me. The things that happen to us, like we can feel really out of control. And as much as it answers questions when we know what's going on, it's like, kind of a moment when we're like, oh, like, there's something that is going on with me. Like that is 
new. And that can be a lot sometimes. Oh, and absolutely. Like I honestly like don't know how I would have made it through that day if I didn't have that incredibly supportive professor as well as those two individuals. Like I went home crying um, and I was like tears like dripping down my face. I was like, I, need, I just need to get home. Yeah. And then I actually ended up, I had moved across the country to go to grad school. So oh it was also quite isolating. So I remember like the first person I was able to call was a friend who I consider my brother, right? He's been through everything with me. Like I could call him if I needed a ride. Yeah. So he's just someone that I can really lean on when I really need someone just to be there with me right now. And so like, I'm really lucky to have friends like that I could really call on. Otherwise, this is definitely something that was really hard to just go through it alone. Yeah, well, and like, you're even putting more context now. I'm just like, yeah, that's hard. Because like, first year of grad school, you moved across the country. Like, it can be super isolating, right? I mean, like, my own research is literally on the ways that stress affects our immune system and how we're aging. And like, no surprise, uh, stress makes us more vulnerable to illness. Like we heal slower from like wounds. And like, we all know, like when we have a really stressful week, either we feel sick while that's happening or like we get sick later. And it's reminding me of the statistic that I know that like 40% of grad students meet the criteria for depression. And like, if that doesn't say that like, hey, maybe there's this systemic issue, I really don't know what is. And like, that's not even, we're not even talking about anxiety on top of that. I feel like that number might be like 80 to 90%, but that's just totally off the top of my head. But like, this is a major problem that even if this is happening, for example, like I have a mental health diagnosis that doesn't have to do with grad school. But when you think about the factors of grad school that contribute to it, like you mentioned, isolation moving away from family? Like, do people have the social support? Like you mentioned, like, this is a problem. Oh, and like, absolutely. So we know that students in general, be it undergrad, high school students, graduate students, we're all really facing a mental health crisis, which includes things like burnout, isolation, things like that. So I do have some statistics here. I love it. Give me the statistics. (laughs) When you told me you had more than just the one that I said, I was like, my guests are the best because I know the statistics. I don't write them down and then I get mad at myself later. All right, Karen, give me the statistics. I'm ready for them. I got you. Okay. So between 2009 and 2015, uh, mental health diagnoses and treatment increased dramatically for undergraduate students. And this includes panic attack, OCD, so obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, as well as insomnia. And so furthermore, focusing only on graduate students, Over 2,200 graduate students were surveyed across 26 different countries and over 200 institutions. And researchers found that grad students were six times more likely to experience symptoms of depression and anxiety. Wow. Yes. Shocking, hey? And with another 40% of graduate students experiencing moderate to severe anxiety, with 39% of students experiencing similar levels of depression. Wow. And so these numbers are just shocking, right? Shocking. And now coupled with COVID, you oh. can now imagine there's a greater crisis that this pandemic might be producing. Yeah. So really, now is the time to really focus on ourselves. I totally agree. And as you're saying those statistics, I always have this gut reaction to hearing that diagnoses and treatments are up because I feel like it's like a good and a bad thing because part of me is like, okay, people are reaching out for more help. That's good. And then I'm like, okay, diagnoses are going up. Is this because more people are like, oh, I need to tell somebody that I'm struggling? Or is it that more people are struggling? It's probably both. You know, I feel like 
oh God, I can't believe I'm literally saying this, but I feel like Generation Z is actually doing a pretty good job about talking about mental health in general. And I can't believe I'm saying this either. I don't have TikTok, but I on TikTok, yeah. people talk about these things more. So I think it's becoming more mainstream. And so with that, you have more people seeking care, but are people just talking about it more or is it worse? And I already said, I think it's both, but I do think it's both. And I think when we think about grad students, we're not that generation necessarily of people who are more comfortable talking about it. And certainly our professors are not. There are wonderful people, like you mentioned, your professor who was like, hey, maybe take a day and that's okay. And you're not shamed for that. But I feel like we don't necessarily have that luxury yet. We're not quite there. And so people are experiencing this at higher rates to not be in an environment that's encouraging the care that we need. It's really a recipe for the crisis that we're seeing. Like it's kind of the perfect toxic recipe. Rates are increasing. We're not in a place that's handling it and we're all just flailing around a bit. Oh my goodness. Oh no, that just took like a bleak turn. I, I know, I, you know, and I was smiling the whole time because that's just what my face does. So you probably weren't ready for it, but I dropped, there's the bomb. I dropped it like, boom. It's a crisis. I, I have no words for this. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Nothing to say. <laughs> I have nothing to say. You nailed it. Okay, oh, no. how do we fix this? We, yeah, it's messed up. And so I feel like with today's conversation, I think that there needs to be a conversation about like, how do we fix the system? And as much as I want that to be today's conversation, I would love for today to focus on like, there's a lot that I think that we can do to cope and to work on ourselves and to try to take as much as we can out of our own experiences to improve ourselves with that being said, we have systemic issues that also need to change, but I think that'll be a future episode. So let's define a couple of these things because hopefully not everyone listening is a clinical psychologist. And I say that because I just like accidentally keep having clinical psychology PhD students. And I will say forever, they're just overrepresented. It's not my fault. Okay. So let's talk about burnout. How do you define burnout? Like what does burnout look like for you? So I have like the kind of official definition. Oh my God. I am obsessed with you. <laughs> I am like, me. I am prepared. I oh am my God. Prepared. I love it. Give it to me. What is the definition of burnout? You're right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the definition of burnout I subscribe to is that a negative emotional, physical and mental reaction to prolonged work that results in exhaustion, frustration, lack of motivation and reduced ability in school, especially for students. So what does that end up looking like for you? Like, how do you know, like, oh, I'm burnt out or like, oh, I'm getting there. Like, do you have cues? I do. I don't know if you do. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, so the big factor for me was like a panic right mm -hmm. when you've been pushed to the point where you're completely exhausted and your body essentially just collapses yeah so beyond panic attacks which I'm hoping doesn't occur often yeah. <laughs> sometimes I definitely lose motivation that's like another one of my things for sure I feel like for me it's usually like an intense fatigue and not even necessarily tired but suddenly like minutes and hours pass slower it ends up being physically and mentally painful to continue doing whatever I'm doing it, I just feel like it's the last thing I want to do whatever it is and I lose total like scientific and creative energy and I just a lot of times when I feel overwhelmed enough I just cry or I like really want to cry every once in a while when I don't want to cry but I feel like it I'll be like wow I could just like really cry right now I'm so mad like I just get really angry <laughs> I just get I talk to myself oh my god that is so me that is so me too I'm like oh I, I have so much work to do why do I feel this way <laughs> yeah we get so frustrated with ourselves for like the natural reaction to high stress like mm. I think about that. I'm like, uh, this makes total logic sense. And yet I'm like still frustrated as if, as if I'm immune to it. And like, none of us are, but we totally act like it and try to act like, oh, well, 
other students can handle it, but I can. I'm like, that is not true. I say that as if like, I don't do that. I do that all the time. <laughs> like, I think I'm immune. And I do feel like grad school, like as we're talking, it's not just a mental health episode, but like a grad school mental health episode, it can be extra toxic because it is such the culture to push through it. Like how many Twitter threads have you seen that are like, I work 80 hours a week and that's what I expect you to do. And it's not that bad. Like I got there at six and everything worked perfectly in the lab. And I'm like, can you just not like, that's just not realistic. Honestly, that is so true. Yeah, I think because the culture of academia is so competitive that it's it's hard not to compare yourself with like other students, right? Because you're all fighting for the same like awards and scholarships and positions. But I think like trying to build like a healthy support system, especially within your cohort is really vital and really ensuring that like you're all engaging in self-care. I love that idea of like people that you are connecting with where like you can help each other stay accountable for self-care. And I also like what you were talking about which is that we have unique challenges as grad students. And I'm curious for you, like in general, what do you think are like the biggest contributing factors? I mean, yeah, so I've definitely mentioned like isolation, especially moving across the country, mm. the city that I like, I don't know anyone, right? And that was really tough. I'm really lucky that my cohort were all quite supportive, as is most of the grad students in my program. I'm really lucky in that, honestly, we're very supportive of each other. The department's really supportive. So there really isn't that competitive vibe that I see in a lot of other programs, per se. That's good. And I can't think of anything really negative that really impacts me beyond this burnout in general. Like I have a really supportive thesis supervisor who's always checking in both in the academic realm and like ensuring I'm okay mentally, physically, personally. Yeah. And like grad school is just a ton of work. You just always have something else to do. Do you know what I mean? Oh gosh, yes. And I just, I like, I don't know if it's because like clinical psych programs, you've got research, courses, practica, But it was definitely, I think, also an adjustment between undergrad and just first year grad school. Did you take any gap years or did you go right through? Because I went right through. That's a really good question. Yeah, I went right through. And I think that's my mistake. Like Mm. I never really took a summer off or a semester off to really like recuperate after four years of undergrad. Yeah, which in and of itself was just like a giant burnout. Oh my gosh. Yes. And then diving straight into like grad school where you have like a master's and the PhD, that's like another six years. And that for sure, I think culminated into that panic attack I had in March of this year. Well, and like you also bring up such a good point that I think is a huge factor in this, which is like, it is such a marathon. You know, when I go through something difficult, whether it be personal or professional, if it's something that it's like, oh, well, after X amount of time or oh, after this thing, it's going to get a little bit better. But when you're having this like in undergrad, you're like, oh, I'm going to graduate. And like, I see that ending. And then if you start grad school right off, you know, in the US at least, you know, this is going to be six years for me if I do it on time. I'll likely take a year or two extra just because I came from undergrad and I like want time to marinate professionally and personally, but also because it can be hard to be like, oh, this is going to be basically forever onward. It isn't, but eight years, like I can't even conceptualize that. Like eight years ago, like I was 17. Eight years ago, I was still in high school. So eight years is like a really big chunk of my life at this point. So when it feels never ending, you know, there isn't that light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel's eight years away or six years away. Like that's a long ass tunnel. Like I'm not feeling great about that. So I think you like talk about a good point about like we have, I don't know, I have this idea if I work a little harder, it'll go faster, but like it won't. 
And like that can easily contribute to burnout. I don't know. Do you agree? Like, do you end up having thoughts about how long this takes or like the, like you said, you haven't really gotten to take a break. Yes, honestly, that is so true. And I think I was speaking to one of my good friends about this and that this pandemic has really made us like stop and think about our priorities in life and really our values. I totally agree with you. You know, I think about the fact that I'm basically prioritizing like grad school over family right now. I can't leave the state that I live in and still do therapy because of the laws of like, I don't know, therapy laws right now in the state that I live in. I mean, my program is comfortable in that like, if I need to go home, they're going to be flexible, but it makes you take a look. And I feel like this has really been different in COVID because typically day to day as a grad student, I wear like a ton of hats. You've already touched on this for like clinical psych. I'm a researcher. At one point I was a TA. Sometimes I'm with grad students in my cohort and I feel like an equal. Sometimes I'm with professors and there's a power differential. Sometimes I'm a therapist. Sometimes I'm in class. I wear so many hats and then that was so exhausting for me. That was a huge thing for me that always contributed to my mental health. I always felt like I needed to slow down. And then in COVID, I did slow down. And so I got some of that energy back. I'm not driving all over the city all day. I'm not a therapist and then a teacher and then a grad student and then I'm a girlfriend and then I go to sleep and I wake up and I'm something else. Like that really slowed down. But I also feel like you've already mentioned it. It sounds like the social climate of where you're at has been a really positive force for you. And I also know for some people and for me at one time, like social climates can be very influential to like not so great mental health. I'm somebody who usually feels pretty down or like sad when I'm excluded from things. And I think it's hard because we're all in such a bubble. Like grad school cohorts are small. You know generally a lot about the people around you and what they're doing. And like, it can be really obvious when maybe you're not a part of that. You know, as we've talked about the like the longevity part, there are projects I'm working on as a fourth year that I started in my second year. And what I could do is look at the whiteboard that you see behind me with all of my projects that are going to eventually be in my CV, but I don't. I look at my CV, which makes it look like I've done nothing. The comparison game is another big thing for me. It's so easy to compare yourself to other people and it feels like I'm academically behind everyone around me. I don't know if you ever have that problem or like anything like that. I didn't really hit me until third year. Like, do you struggle with that comparison game at all? Oh, like, absolutely. One of my graduate school mentors gave me probably one of the best pieces of advice, and that is to practice self-compassion, especially when you're comparing yourself to all the amazing accomplishments everyone else has been doing, right? And so I don't know if you're familiar with self-compassion or... I am, but I don't think that everyone listening is. Do you want to give like a little bit of a spiel? Like, what is that like? How do you do that? Yes, of course. So often when we personally experience suffering, we often respond with self-criticism and really harsh judgment, right? And we we tell ourselves to get over it. That's what I did when I experienced burnout. And so a common one I always think about is what is wrong with me? Why am I so weak? Why can't I just get over it? So self-compassion allows you to pause and really take a moment to reflect and check in with ourselves. And then we can speak to ourselves in a much more kind and gentle manner, similar to how you might speak to a friend when they're suffering. If we can really teach ourselves to like deviate from that harsh judgmental path when we're personally experiencing suffering, so we can treat ourselves better like a friend, we can really start relating to ourselves the way we relate to a close friend. And personally, I found that to be really, really helpful in times when you're always judging yourself for not accomplishing this project or getting this data analysis done. And it's really more about being kind to ourselves, because honestly, we really deserve that kindness. We give this kindness to everyone, but we really don't give it to ourselves. I love that you said that. We do deserve it. Hell yeah, we do. When we hear this and likely listeners are feeling this way. They're like, well, duh. 
How many of us actually do it though? Why is it so hard to be kind to ourselves? If you're noticing that that's true for you, you're not alone in that. I think like that's a big theme for today. Whatever you're going through, you're not alone. I love this idea of self-compassion. And there are some resources online, I think, for self-compassion that maybe we can link in the description. Like I found some, I don't know if you have some as well. And I do want to take a moment here. There are some people that I want to give a shout out on Twitter for who talk a lot about mental health and academic mental health. There is somebody in particular that I follow. Her name is Dr. Zoe Ayres. I think that's how you pronounce her name. I'm very sorry if I've mispronounced it. You can find her at Z-J-A-Y-R-E-S. She does a ton of academic mental health work. She usually is posting on the hashtag, hashtag academic mental health. And she has these amazing posters about mental health in grad school, like the issues that arise, what it looks like to be struggling with your mental health, things like hard time sleeping, high stress, imposter syndrome. We haven't even talked about failures. Failures hurt, isolation and guilt, the struggle with the work-life balance. Other things that we haven't mentioned, I'm guessing because they haven't been like our story, PIs can be absent or abusive. They can be really bad at mentoring. The power dynamic, not even to mention when there's family issues going down. This list goes on and that shouldn't be normal. So I just wanted to shout her out really quick. She has these really great um, like Psycom posters for mental health that I am gonna tag below for people to check out. I also wanna mention Black and Mental Health. They're gonna be at Black and MH on Twitter. They had their like Black and Mental Health week a couple of weeks ago when this comes out, but it just finished in the week that we're recording this. But for Black and Mental Health, they have have black therapists, black researchers talking about both how to cope with mental health as a black person and like also some of the really specific like institutional barriers that there are in academia as a black person. And so I think that is also a really good resource for anybody listening. Of course, all of this is going to be linked below, um, but they are kind of like a good place to start on Twitter if you are a person of color and you want to see other black people talking about what it's like to be a therapist and also just talking about their own personal mental health struggles. Like some people interacting in this week are are not in mental health research, but they're able to interact. And I think it's really great to just see everyone coming together and being like, we all need to take care of ourselves. But I love that you have like taken us now, Karen, to this place of like taking care of your mental health. And you've mentioned self-compassion as one for you. I'm curious, like what are other ways that you do take care of your mental health? Oh, that's a good one. So I definitely engage in like mindfulness and self-compassion as I personally enjoy the self-compassion break I do daily. Um, I think we're going to link some resources there. Oh yeah. Is that an app? No, I don't think so. But meditation wise, I use Headspace. Oh yes. So I really enjoy spending time with friends. And I know because with COVID and everything, I can't do that as often, but that's still something that can happen. Yeah. I just, I'm just 20 feet away across like the front lawn of my friends have and it's totally feasible. Like we order like takeout or bubble tea and then we can just speak to each other. Oh my God, that's beautiful. Yes, I know. <laughs> so really connecting with both my cohort members as well as those that are like outside of academia who can really give you that fresh perspective mm -hmm. is really, really helpful. Oh, outside of academia people, they're underrated. Honestly, amazing. Life-changing. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> like as helpful as it is to have people like in academia who get it, it's so helpful to have friends with people that you don't even ever have to talk about grad school ever. I know. And, but they're always asking me about grad school I and I'm yeah. always like, Oh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And like, you can still talk about the great parts of it. Like we're here for reasons that we enjoy. Otherwise we wouldn't be here, but I still think it's so valuable. There is that sort of boundary. Like you can step outside of the space with people and that can be really cleansing. Oh, totally. Yes. But I also like it where like, you're always feeling you're like you're failing in grad school, but then you speak to like 
friends outside of academia and they're like, wow, you're doing this, you're publishing, you're doing this kind of research. And I'm like, the hype. honestly, that really puts things into perspective. And it makes you realize like how privileged you are. And like, oh, I love them even more. <laughs> I know, right. But because like, what we don't realize is like, what we're doing is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, we are doing scientific research that is influencing either treatments or I mean, and like in psychology that is, or like understanding the people better, the mind, like the body, at least for me, because I do health psych and even people outside of psychology, like building things or like the way that the world is working and going to work in the future. Like PhD students, I mean, in my mind, like the driving force of academia, take grad students out of academia, it crumbles. Research would fall apart. I mean, but like, honestly, because PIs can't do it by themselves. Like we're the backbone. Absolutely. And I think that's why we can be that driving force to really change how academia talks about and thinks about mental health. So I think that's why we're so interested in this topic. Just be- beyond being clinical psychology students, we're really interested as like, I'm personally really interested as a mental health advocate. So an analogy I tend to use a lot when I talk about mental health When it comes to mental health, you have to be conscious that there are like ups and downs similar to when you have the good or bad in physical health, right? Mm. So this really helps have our home, I think, why mental health is so important. So for example, in your childhood, you might have broken a bone, right? That might be a down. But then as a teenager, you might have been at your peak physical health, which would have been an up. Mm-hmm. So now think about this in mental health terms, and this pattern really isn't that distinct physical health, and that your mental health journey really works at, in a similar way. Mm-hmm. So for example, as an adolescent, you might have been diagnosed with some kind of disorder that was really hard to like understand and comprehend with. That might have been a down, but then now you might be flourishing and thriving because now you're able to accept who you are, things like that. So that could be an up. So what I really want to reiterate in this episode is that uh, mental health is a really continuous and lifelong journey, and that's really unique to each one of us, just like our fingerprints. Oh. <laughs> and so this podcast is tailored to grad students. I really, really want to emphasize <laughs> that we really need to take care of our mental health, no matter who you are. I absolutely love that. I like to think that in life, like as a law of nature, we have this like law of equilibrium, right? Or like gravity, what goes up must come down. I like to think that over our life, we all hit our own equilibrium, right? Like, like you said, you might have ups in adolescence that are downs now, but like they're gonna come back up. Tis the nature of the world. Circle of life, I do a lot with like emotional disorders orders in my clinical work. We talk a lot about like emotions are like waves. The emotion that feels really intense right now is going to feel less intense whether you do something about it or not. So like these things that are really, really stressful in life are going to come down, whether that be, I mean, right, grad school, it's a six year wave. Like things are gonna come down eventually. These things are gonna go up and they're gonna go down naturally. And we can do things to influence it. Like when we feel super stressed out and it's an up, we can do some self-care and we can take care of ourselves so that that high intensity stress isn't 100 out of 100, maybe it's like 50. And we can do things so that we come down a little bit quicker and so that we can get back to our baseline. But also you can handle whatever really difficult thing that you're going through. And it's really important that you do prioritize whatever that is. Cause like you deserve to take care of yourself. You deserve to be compassionate towards yourself. Like you said, Karen, like we deserve to feel the best that we can feel. And I word it that way to say, like we're gonna be stressed sometimes but if we're doing our best like that's all we can do like that is more than enough I think you completely nailed it and I I think we use 
self-care as a buzzword a lot of the times, but it's really true that you really do need to find self-care strategies that work best for you. So honestly, it doesn't have to take that much time because as grad students, we really don't have that much time, but it could be like a quick five-minute meditation or maybe reading a book on public transportation during your morning it could even be plugging in some music and having a spontaneous dance party. That's what you're into. And so one of my really good friends has shared with me that I think is really valuable to our listeners and that self-care is not a waste of time because you're investing in you. And so when I say investment, that often ties into the notion of productivity, which self-care doesn't necessarily have to be about. So if you recharge by watching YouTube videos or listening to the and by all means, that is self-care. Mm-hmm. And so you need to do what, what works best for you and what applies to you. And honestly, do not be afraid to try a plethora of things. Yeah. Okay. So I actually like that you talked about it like this, but I like to separate out taking care of myself versus self-care. And the reason being is like making sure I eat lunch every day. Don't forget to eat lunch because I'm busy or like getting as much sleep as I can. Like that's taking care of myself. That is like on a really basic human level, like making sure my necessities, like, I don't know, biologically and like physically are met. That influences our mental health so much. Like I, my boyfriend, I think I've said this on an episode before I'm saying it again, when I don't get enough sleep or I don't eat enough food, my boyfriend calls me grumpers because I get grumpy and I'm not pleasant. And like, I'm, it's fine. Like I can be that way. That's not a problem, but like just really basic things, like the stuff that just keeps me physically and mentally healthy. And then I like to think of self-care as like, you know, despite taking care of myself, there are going to be like intense up and downs. So self-care is usually getting back to baseline rather than like establishing it, I guess, if that makes sense. So like, you know, I stop working every day at like five or six. And then it's like how I spend that night is usually like, that's going to be like self-care time. So, you know, yesterday I went and I like bought myself new running shoes because I was training for a half marathon when the pandemic hit. And then I just like stopped running, which was like the opposite of the rest of the world. But I like bought my running shoes. I got a mask for running and I got some running socks. And I was like, this is going to be really important to take care of myself as we head into winter when things are going to get probably a little grim. And like, I really like to talk to family. Like I love to FaceTime my Nana who learned how to FaceTime, which is amazing. She actually listens to this podcast. Um, She'll like call me and she'll be like, well, I got bored on your episode this week after like 10 minutes. So I didn't hear the whole thing. And I'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> but like talking to people who uplift you like that, like that's good self-care for me, just like you mentioned. And then like, I really like to binge watch TV shows and like, I really like to crochet and play with my cats. And like this list, if you're like, wow, Alana, you have a lot of things you do. I worked really hard to come up with this list. When I was an undergrad, I didn't really have any self-care because I just was like, I don't need to. I just need to get to grad school. Like that's really all that matters. And like, then I got to grad school and I was like, oh, like nothing changed about me. I'm the same person. And oh, I suddenly have to deal with like stress. (laughs) Like not that I wasn't stressed, but I just was like, oh, I have to deal with it now. I can't just avoid dealing with it. So it's important to keep ourselves at a good baseline and then like doing things like self-care that bring us back to that baseline after a stressful day. I don't know. I separate those things, but I don't think everyone does. I think something to keep in mind is it depends on like where your baseline is for that day. And Mm. that totally depends on the day, right? Depends on where you're at that day. So sometimes self-care for me is just being able to get out of bed, Mm -hmm. right? If I have a particularly bad migraine day, I just get out of bed and I really need to get that shower or I really need to get food. It's really, really hard. And so I think it's totally okay to to keep those separate or combine those however you see fit for that day. But I can can tell you clearly have like a very like established self-care plan, which is 
What would be awesome? <laughs> I mean, it's only established because I feel like th- I had to because of everything we've talked about. All these like systemic problems in grad school or systemic, systematic. What's the? I don't actually problem- know. <laughs> I don't know. Why don't I know this? All of these like things in grad school don't really give you the option except to figure it out. Or you just oh, have a so really true. incredibly hard time. Yeah, like it's great that I've developed this, but like let's be so clear that this has happened because I was forced into this corner to survive, not because I chose to willingly. Not that like I wouldn't have, but do you know what I mean? Yes, and I think like your experience sounds like a lot of my friends and personally myself. I can totally, like I totally see why I need that self and right now. Which is why, like, I believe, like, self-care is super important and talking about mental health and things like that is so important, like, more so now than ever. Yeah. So I do want to talk for a second about your advocacy on Twitter. Like, we talked about a little bit before. I love what you tweet. I'm curious what that has been like for you to be somebody who is helping other people and, like, talking about these things. Has that has an impact on your own experience with mental health? Has it been helpful? Is it meaningful? Like, I'm just really curious. This is, like, such a pro-Twitter podcast that if anyone's not on Twitter, then I'm like, God, I could do it on Twitter. But I'm just curious, like what it's been like for you to have the experience as somebody kind of known for doing that. So as a clinical psychologist trainee, you're trained in science, practice, and research, right? But they're really missing that advocacy. So mm. I think that's where I came in. Um, and I'm using Twitter as my medium or my platform, and as well as blogging about my lived experience with mental health. And so I think because mental health itself is stigmatized in so many different spaces, and it's still stigmatized in clinical psychology, where we assist individuals with mental health problems still not discussed in academia like it really isn't and so I think after observing like a lot of my friends who suffer from mental health disorders and realizing that it's not actually like that accepted in academia I think that's where my advocacy really came in and I was like okay we really need to change the system yeah (laughs) it's not working Yeah. So what would you say to someone who like, maybe they're totally identifying with what you're saying? Maybe they're like, this is really important. And I struggle with mental health or like my friends do. And maybe they want to get involved in advocacy for this either in real life or, you know, via this virtual space. What advice would you give to someone who is passionate about this systematic problem, systemic, we're still not there. Somebody who's passionate about this issue, what advice would you have for someone who wants to dive into this and be someone speaking up about it? I think the the best piece of advice I can give is to really be true to yourself and stand by your values and your beliefs. And it's okay to talk about mental health problems that you might have experienced if you're at that stage if you're not quite ready to discuss your lived experiences that's okay simply engaging in conversations about mental health journeys things like that I think can really engage individuals and really move the process I really like what you said about like you can be wherever you're at with your journey I think that's one slight con of the Twitter game is that most people who are speaking on these are like in a place in their life where they're ready to do that. And it's okay if you're not there. You can still be passionate about this advocacy work and like you can retweet or you can, you know, get slowly involved with things in real life that are advocating for this. I think that any help is some help. You know, you don't have to necessarily be a spokesperson, but you can, you know, get involved and you can still dabble in these areas 
I love that. There's no pressure to be it, but if you're into it and passionate about it, like there are definitely avenues I feel like that are available. Oh, absolutely. And I think my first experience with like mental health advocacy was really blogging about my experience in the blog voices of academia. That was another one I wanted to shout out. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. And so that for me was I had to sit down and I had to like process that I actually had a panic attack and that I was willing to share this story with the world in hopes that someone else might connect with it, um, that someone else might feel like they're not alone. You're, You're really not alone. Like, as I've said, like, I really do think we all have our own mental health journeys. And it's just we're not quite there yet in terms of discussing things. openly. Well, I think that you make a good point that it is still stigmatized. I think you and I would agree that it shouldn't be. But like, it's understandable if people are still feeling that stigmatized pressure. And actually, on this topic of stigma, I think one thing that we haven't said that I think we should is go to therapy. Therapy's great. It can be really scary the first time just in terms of not knowing what to expect and really just jumping two feet into an experience that's likely quite new. But there are lots of different kinds of therapists, different kinds of therapy. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's easy um, and it can be quite cost prohibitive, but I would recommend to people, you know, first off, there's psychologytoday.com. I know that that happens in the US. Is that something in the in Canada as well that you're aware of? Nope. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> totally fine. If you're in Canada and it works, I love to see that, but we don't know. But in the US, you can like go by your zip code or you can go by your city and you can find providers in your area. The other thing I would recommend as we're all grad students, it's very likely that either your university has a counseling center with a couple of sessions available for grad students at a low cost or for free. And the other thing that I feel like people don't always know about is that psychology departments typically run their own psychology clinics to train grad students that are separate from counseling centers. This isn't everywhere, but at my undergrad university, we have that. At my current grad student university, we have that where the clinical psychology PhD students, they might also work at the counseling center, but often there's an in-house clinic. And the reason I bring that up is that everyone that I've heard of so far is either free or it works on a sliding scale fee. And so what that means is that usually you, you know, up to X amount of dollars, you're gonna pick what you're comfortably able to pay. Like I think where I currently work, it's like you'd pay up to $50, but a lot of people pay anywhere between like five to 20 a session. So those are good resources for grad students. We're all on a budget. You know, our insurance situation is different if you're in the US. And the other thing that I'll say too, like as we're talking about this, I think that it would be irresponsible to not mention that, you know, If you are having a really intense experience in grad school and you're having some suicidal thoughts, there are places you can reach out, whether it be finding a therapist, like I mentioned, but there are also in most countries, there's a suicide hotline. Um, So these are going to be listed in the description just for ease of access. But I also just want to mention in the United States, that hotline is 800-273-8255. There's also a number in Canada that's 833-456-4566. And in the UK, you can call 116-123. It is not unreasonable to imagine that grad school is causing people to feel so awful about things that like suicidal thoughts might be popping up. Like it's a, it's intense. It really is. Yeah. And I feel like on that point where I got to with all this was this idea of stigma and therapy is still stigmatized and it like kind of breaks my heart. We're not scary. <laughs> I know. And what's really interesting is that in our clinical psychology ethics code in Canada, it's actually encouraged that psychologists take time to take care of themselves and engage in self-care before really being able to treat 
mental health patients, right? Because that quote, you can't pour from an empty cup is so, so true. Love that quote. But it it goes for therapists. It goes for grad students. Like, I feel like I've seen so many people online that are like, when I started taking care of my mental health and I also limited the times that I was working, my productivity skyrocketed. Even if you have a hard time where you're like, I don't even deserve to feel better. If you need an outside thing, it's like, well, you'll actually be more productive by taking care of yourself. Like a lot of things are affected by you taking care of you. So I am curious. I didn't know that you got to be somebody who blogged for Voices of Academia. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Like, when was it? I'm going to link it. Like, it's already happening. What was that like? Because like you said, you had to process all this information. Like, that would be a lot. But their blog is awesome. Oh, my gosh. I love, like, love their work. So I was really fortunate to have this platform where I could really share my story. And so I can't even gloss over it. Like it was really difficult to sit down to really write out my story and really process what I went through. Because once you experience something that almost profoundly changes your life, that's something that really takes some time to like process and just really acknowledge that you actually went through that. But I was really fortunate in both Zoe and Marissa were really kind and passionate throughout the entire process. And they were really adamant that you should share only what you feel comfortable, which I think extends to beyond this blog to whatever advocacy you might be doing. I'm going to make sure it's linked below so people can go ahead and read it. Yeah, it's run by basically either people who are, they, what, just graduated a couple of years ago? Like, yes. So it is at Z-J-A-Y-R-E-S and at Dr. Marissa Kate. And that's D-R-M-A-R-I-S-S-A-K-A-T-E. And all of this is going to be linked below, but I don't even think they were in psychology. Like anyone can be a mental health advocate. Absolutely. And you can actually submit anonymous stories as well. And they'll publish that if you're not quite ready to share your story yet. And that's completely okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about like, this is a platform to talk about mental health with this podcast, there are also other podcasts for grad school. There's one called Black in Grad School. She talks a lot about like being a Black student in grad school. And like, obviously I can't tell anyone what that's like. So that's a good place to feel a little bit less alone. There are a lot of podcasts that talk like therapists talking about mental health that are good. And then there's blogs like Voices of Academia. There's Dragonfly Mental Health. That's at DragonflyMH on Twitter. And that's a nonprofit that is actually dedicated to mental health and academia. So there are a lot of resources that I feel like are coming out of the works because of this, again, like institutional problem. But all of this is to say like no one's alone and like there are things to support you. (laughs) I love how you said institution and not systematic. Oh my God. I was like, is she going to notice? Because I don't know which word it is, so I switched. Can I mention it on the podcast? (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm for sure keeping that in now. See, we're all humans. Look, this like this is a serious episode, but like we can still be ourselves. Like, because that's what it really comes down to. I am just such a believer in like being truly whoever you are. And I know that it's it's a privilege for me to be able to say that. However, as much as you are able to, whether it being surrounding yourself by people in which you can be yourself or choosing where you go to grad school based on that, or you know, once you get out of a really toxic environment, it is a happier place to be when you're able to be who you are. And I also say this as somebody, so this past week was like, 
Bi Visibility Week and Bi Visibility Day. And like, I came out as bisexual. That's part of me like being exactly who I am as Karen is experiencing and past guests are experiencing. I just flail around most of the time in the background here. Um, I'm like just doing my best. So it's really, really hard. But for me, that has also been a huge element to like my mental health is just accepting that like, yeah, I'm a little bit like weird and I have a really big personality. And like, that doesn't always align with grad school, but like, I just decided to still be that because I'm unhappy otherwise. I mean, I think as humans, we all are quite unique and we all, again, have very different journeys. So Karen, as we're wrapping up here, give me some of your final thoughts on this. How would you, I don't know, take away message for anybody listening to this episode? Yeah. So I really want to reiterate that again, like mental health and wellness, this is a very continuous and lifelong journey and it's really idiosyncratic and personalized to each one of us. And so this also really applies to self-care. So again, self-care strategies really need to be tailored to who you are as an individual. And these are going to be tools in your self-care toolkit that are I love that personalization piece. I think that it's key. I think that we all work different. We all like different things. You know, I have a friend, like some self-care for her is like, you know, sunbathing. And like, if I go out in the sun, I just like, burn on contact and like crisp up and sweat and I love doing it with her because like that's bonding but like I don't relax laying alone in the sun so like do what works for you my takeaway for this episode for people would be like don't be afraid to reach out don't be afraid to or ashamed to talk about whatever mental health thing is going on with you I feel like so many people are struggling that you know, you you just aren't alone in it. And I think that there are hard to find, but many resources out there for you, whether it be the suicide hotline or, you know, other help or hotlines that your university might provide for someone to talk to, or just like Twitter, finding people who you can relate to on, you know, what struggles they're going through. I think my biggest thing is human connection. I always thought I was an introvert until very recently. Um, Apparently I'm an extrovert. Even if you're introverted, the internet can be a good way of like social contact without social contact, especially with COVID. So my takeaway is reach out to people. You're not alone and you deserve to feel well. So Karen, thank you so much for coming to chat with me, you know, chipping away, like I said, a single tip at this giant iceberg, you know, I'm gonna, it's like inevitable by the grad student podcast, like there's gonna be more episodes on mental health. So thank you for being my first like guest to talk about this. I'm super honored to have you on. I'm gonna say something dorky, but like when I was making the podcast, I kind of had to convince myself that I like had enough content. And so what I did is I made a list of like, oh, who would I reach out to on Twitter? And like some of those people I like did reach out to because they were some of my first episodes. And some people I was like, okay, I'm gonna like give it a little bit of time. I don't know. Like, because I was like, I need to start the podcast, stop being afraid. But you were on my list of like, reach out to this person to talk about academic mental health. And then you reached out to me to talk about academic mental health. And so I was very honored to have you. Okay, you're fanning yourself. I'm like crying. (laughs) I'm crying. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. But you're welcome. I mean, I just like, I love what you're doing on Twitter. Honestly, the honor is like all mine. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having this platform for grad students to just hear about and relate and listen. Yeah. Is this the part where I quote myself from earlier about crying because I'm overwhelmed? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I really appreciate it. I am like, you know, we're still only like a, a month and a half out of like me launching this. And I'm like really blown away by the feedback and by it being helpful for people. So thank you. Thank everyone. I want to remind people where they can find you on Twitter, Karen. Can you tell us your handle one more time so people can follow you? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Twitter handle is at Karen Tang underscore. So that's K-A-R-E-N-T-A-N-G underscore. 
amazing. Well, again, the honor was all mine. I know you said it was yours, but it was mine. And I just want to thank you again for coming on and chatting with me and being a guest. And listeners, I will catch you next time. There's no outro. That's it. I know, right? Are you following the podcast on social media? You should be. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Dear Grad Student or Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod and on YouTube by searching Dear Grad Student Podcast. If you want to connect with me online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore G-L-O. G-E-R. Reminder that you can find the link to shop for productivity and self-care items at Best Self Co. with the link in the description. If you like what you heard today, please spread the word about the show. And if you're able to, rate and leave a review for Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on wherever you find your other favorite podcasts. Remember that all resources and links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana. Wow.